I would tell you one of the things that uh, we're excited about is uh, we're pivoting to something called specialty distribution. And there was a lot of talk about that at uh, CinemaCon. We talked about it at our lunch. There was a press release on it. And what we're going to be doing is looking at a handful of films that aren't necessarily one or two nights like event cinema is and will always be an event cinema company but there's an evolution going on here from alternative content years ago to event cinema today to what we're going to lead into the future this is the box office podcast i'm daniel luria the editorial director of box office pro the pulse of theatrical exhibition here this week with my colleague Jesse Rifkin, our box office analyst, and my colleague from the box office company, Romeo Duchenne. They'll be going over the latest earnings from a strong weekend at the box office. We'll be providing full insights and analysis on the global opening weekend of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Later on in our feature segment, we have Ray Nutt, the chief executive officer of Fathom Events, joining us for a nice discussion on event cinema and where the event cinema leader here in the United States is heading for the rest of the year. Some great hits that they enjoyed through 2022. We'll get all of those details from Ray Nutt in our feature segment. But Jesse, let's start up here with the news because we've got a lot of quarterly earnings calls to go over. Let's start the way we usually do, though. I know you're a big moviegoer every Friday, every week. What movies did you see this weekend? I saw two. On Friday night, I saw the new romantic comedy Love Again, for which I actually got to interview the writer-director Jim Strauss for the most recent issue of our magazine. On Saturday night, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in IMAX 3D, no less. But my favorite thing I saw in the cinema this weekend by far was Universal's new trailer for Oppenheimer. And Christopher Nolan actually sneaking a little bit of an advance to the CinemaCon audience, saying that he was working really hard to get that first trailer ready to play right in front of that Guardians of the Galaxy opening weekend. It's good to see it had an impact. You saw this in IMAX over in the Washington, D.C. area, right? Yeah, I live in the Washington, D.C. area. I saw it at the AMC Georgetown 14, the cinema that I go to almost every weekend. But a fun fact about Love Again, the film I saw on Friday, it has one of the widest gaps ever on Rotten Tomatoes between the audience score and the critic score. I don't just mean of the year, I mean ever. 19% score from the critics, 93% score from the audiences. That's a 74% gap, one of the widest gaps of any film ever made. That's a big swing between the critical consensus and the public opinion on this title. Hopefully it can help the film recover some of that box office it didn't earn over its opening weekend because it's going to be a slow weekend and new releases. Jesse, what's the box office looking like uh, come this Friday? Well, nothing huge that's going to challenge the Chris Pratt duopoly, as it were. First place is going to be Guardians uh, repeating in first place. Super Mario Brothers 3 is going to repeat as the runner-up. Super Mario Brothers is holding better than almost anybody expected. The New Yorker even ran an article this week called The Stupefying Success of the Super Mario Brothers Movie. That's right. Even the New Yorker is writing about Super Mario Brothers now. It's incredible to see just the success that this title has enjoyed. The first billion-dollar global earner of 2023, like you mentioned, Jesse, this very well may end up being the highest-grossing movie of the year. But the good thing is, as opposed to other years uh, during the pandemic, here it really feels like the pandemic is behind us. It really feels like there are enough titles that could at least 
challenge the Super Mario Brothers movie to be that highest earner of 2023. Of course, we had the opening weekend of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 this past weekend. It just happened. We'll be going over those results shortly with Romeo Duchenne. But first, we have to go over the quarterly earning results here. Jesse, we've got three major U.S. circuits reporting their latest numbers based on a strong recovery. I think uh, better than expected Q1. We won't be able to get into any of that Super Mario Brothers box office bump. Of course, that influencing the Q2 box office. But let's keep everything on a Q1 basis. You mentioned the AMC in Georgetown over there in Washington, D.C., AMC as a circuit, as a whole, enjoying a 29% quarter-to-quarter increase compared to last year's Q1. A great start for the circuit. Adam Aaron, the chief executive officer, believing that the year's box office will likely end up being 20 to 30% ahead of the 2022 domestic box office. As you remember, last year we finished at $7.5 billion. That puts Adam Aaron forecasting this to be somewhere in the $9 billion or above range. A nice piece of recovery. He is expecting the market to recover by 2025. He is expecting this to be a five-year detour from the pandemic. Right now, we're looking at AMC recovering, really firing in all cylinders. You mentioned uh, those IMAX screens. How many premium auditoriums does that Georgetown location have? 14 auditoriums. I believe one is IMAX, one is Dolby. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, because we've seen a big investment in the PLF space from AMC with premium format revenue representing nearly 30% of domestic admission revenue in Q1 of 2023. You compare that to prior years, Jesse, 21.7% of admissions revenue came from premium format auditoriums in 2022. And this seems like a lifetime ago, back in Q1 of 2019, premium format revenue only bringing in 19.9% of revenue for AMC. That's a 10% revenue bump in uh, premium formats here for AMC. Internationally, a very similar story. Premium formats representing 24% of admission revenue compared to 13% in Q1 of 2022, and only 10% of admissions revenue in Q1 of 2019. So we're talking about a premium format internationally, Jesse, that used to bring in 10% of admission money before the pandemic. Now it's responsible for nearly a quarter of revenue and ticket sales for AMC internationally. This just keeps on going. And concessions, it's the same thing. I know I am a big concessions buyer when I go to the movies. What's your go-to concessions at AMC when you go? It's actually not a candy. It's the Impossible Nuggets. Really? I've heard really good things about that. That's the like uh, meat alternative that they have at AMC concession stands? Yeah, and I'm not even a vegan or a vegetarian. It just tastes really good. Yeah, I've heard great things about that. Uh, I've also enjoyed their uh, their curly fries. They do really good hot food. AMC reporting record F&B revenue, actually, for their domestic circuit, bringing in a record $7.99 per patron over the first quarter. That's an all-time record, 6.2% ahead from last year. AMC with big news on the candy front, Jesse. Because of a surge in pricing from wholesale candy manufacturers and the disruption of the supply chain, AMC has decided to sell their own private label candy in their movie theaters. They are aiming for a late 
start in 2023 or an early 2024 launch for their private label AMC candy in theaters. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, there won't be regular candy available at AMCs. It just means that they'll be able to bring in their own AMC branded candy to sell alongside with everything else in the concession stand. And uh, that pretty much does it for the AMC earnings calls. Let's go over to the number three circuit in the nation, Cinemark, uh, that also reported strong earnings here coming in from the first quarter in 2023. The circuit welcoming over 43 million moviegoers across its global circuit during the first quarter. That's a 30% year-over-year increase. Another positive quarter for that company. And uh, now let's go over the last company to bring in their quarterly earnings for this uh, Q1 in 2023, Marcus Theaters, which uh, reported a bump of 26.3% in box office receipts during Q1 2023 compared to their fiscal year in 2022. They're seeing a lot of great performance in their concessions revenue. They're seeing per caps getting with more people buying food, people buying more food when they buy those uh, those concessions items. And of course, a big uh, part of that are higher ticket prices and higher concessions prices that are happening uh, this year. We're seeing different circuits institute pricing increases for a number of reasons. In 2023, the biggest change, Jesse, for Marcus Theaters actually coming to their discount Tuesday format. You may remember they've had a very popular $5 ticket Tuesday program for over a decade here in the United States. Marcus Theater is now increasing the price for that discount program to $7 a ticket every Tuesday. But if you are part of their free loyalty program, that goes down to a $6 admission on Tuesdays. A big shift for this circuit, which has also benefited from uh, 3D surcharges and premium large format auditorium surcharges. But all in all, we are seeing, I think, a macro trend in exhibition. People are coming back. More and more when they do, they're buying more concessions and they're spending more per patron than they used to pre-pandemic. A good bit of momentum here for the industry. All these circuits are doing very well because of the films in the marketplace. So let's talk about some of those films in the marketplace. Yeah, let's go into it. Well, let's talk about the film in the marketplace, right? We should go over the opening weekend results here from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Opening last weekend, we expect that to hold on to the number one spot in this coming weekend. To go over that global opening weekend result in context, after the break, we'll be bringing in our colleague Romeo Duchenne to be going over all of the global insights from that opening weekend. And Jesse, you'll be providing all the updates from the domestic side of that performance. That's coming up after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Box Office Podcast is brought to you by Jack Row, whose full-service box office management system has users singing their praises. Julie and Jeff Eisentrout, owner-operators of Eisentrout Theaters, say... Over the years, Jackro has expertly responded to the growing digital needs of the industry and developed a product that is both logical and operator-friendly. Their support has always been timely, helpful, and reliable. Most important, and why we've never looked elsewhere, are the relationships we've developed. Our friends at Jackro are patient and helpful and always treat us like we're part of the family. When it all gets down to it, we do business with people. And Jackrow has always had the best in that department. To find out more, visit www.jacro.com. 
And we are back here on the Box Office Podcast with our box office analyst, Jesse Rifkin, and the box office companies, Romeo Duchenne, who will be going over the global box office performance of Guardians of the Galaxy over its opening weekend. You guys know how this goes. There's a number that the studio gives us. It's a big number, but it's really hard to find some nuance when we just look at numbers. So for that reason, we've got Jesse here to cover the domestic figures and Romeo to go over into detail on that overseas performance. Jesse, let's start with you. What was the opening weekend like for Guardians, and how does that compare to the two prior entries in the series? Yeah, Daniel, it started with about $118 million. Now, that is about 25% higher than the original Guardians of the Galaxy, about 19% lower than the 2017 sequel, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So Marvel had basically had a decade straight where the films were increasing more and more at the box office. Iron Man 1, then 2, then 3. Captain America 1, then 2, then 3. We're starting to see the first fall, like uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, the third installment, actually made less than the second installment, Ant-Man and the Wasp, which few people would have projected pre-release. And now, barring unexpectedly strong legs, it's looking like the third Guardians film will also earn less most likely it will learn less than the than the second installment. I did see it on Saturday night at an IMAX 3D screening, no less. The theater was pretty full, not completely full though. I'm gonna say about I'm gonna say about three quarters full. Yeah, I mean it's always interesting to hear the the anecdotal experience of folks that go on opening weekend on these PLF formats. I know that in the post-Avengers endgame era, it's been a little bit of a challenge for Marvel to muster the same amount of interest from fans when you don't have a Captain America selling your movies, when you don't have an Iron Man selling your movies. Now you've got a talking raccoon and something called the Ant Guy and and his wasp friend with these endless sequels trying to to find some sort of traction. What were the demographics of this specific entry in the Guardian series, Jesse? Because as we know, these are usually cross-quadrant titles. I wonder if there's been a lot of evolution in the people coming to this movie. At least relative to the most recent Marvel installment, there was no evolution. (laughs) This was 60% male versus 61% male for Quantumania. It was also 52% ages 25 plus. That's versus 53% for ages 25 plus for Quantumania. Also, I'm not sure if uh, your phrase endless sequels is exactly right. I think Quantumania was so poorly received, there might not be another Ant-Man movie. And this uh, spoiler free, but Guardians 3 sort of ends in a way that pretty much makes it clear there is, it wraps up a trilogy. I don't think there's going to be a Guardians 4. But you're right that there's endless sequels to the Marvel Universe. In yeah, no, in general, it's hard to keep up between the TV shows, between the movies. I, I don't even know what number of movie this is in this Marvel saga. It's number 32. There's been 32 Marvel movies, theatrically released so far. That's not even counting the TV shows. So it, it's, a, it's an investment, I think, for audiences to come in and keep engaged. Now it's been over a decade of these movies coming out. Romeo, we know that these movies perform very well overseas, but we are seeing this sort of slippage here in the domestic market. Rather than looking at the big global figure, let's go on a region-by-region basis, Romeo. What can we discern from the performance of this title, depending on the region where the movie came out on opening weekend? Yeah, well, uh, hello Daniel, hello Jesse. So uh, always, uh, always happy to to be here and talk about international figures with this big French accent. But I'm going to talk about a lot of different countries for Guardian of the Galaxy. And to sum up the 
the analysis, uh, I, I could say that Guardian of the Galaxy has domestic wise, they are missing a little bit compared to the previous one. China is even harder on this one, actually. And China is, is a big market. They grossed $28.1 million. But when we compare to the previous Guardian of the Galaxy, they did almost $50 million US dollar in China. So that's a big miss. It's like a 40% miss. And the second one grossed roughly $100 million in China. So when we look at the numbers from China, we could see Guardian of the Galaxy Volume 3 reaching probably $60 million. So that's in the end, going to be like a 40, yeah, 40 million dollar miss uh, on that country. Yeah, that's a big uh, impact. APAC as a whole, the Asia Pacific region, what is that looking like in markets like South Korea, like Japan, when you bring that in the big picture? So, yeah, well, Golden of the Galaxy opened first in every market except Japan, for instance, for, uh, for the APAC region. What can we discern from the South Korean opening? Yes, yeah, South Korea is the, the biggest country for the uh, APEC region for Guardian of the Galaxy with a 47% market share for Guardian of the Galaxy this weekend. Mario, still strong, let's not forget, still strong. But Guardian of the Galaxy grows roughly $14 million in South Korea. This is actually almost the double compared to the second one. So a big overperformance from Guardian of the Galaxy Volume 3 compared to the previous one. So it's like, yeah, it's a 97% overperformance. Compared to Ant-Man 3, the last Ant-Man, it's almost 200% more. So that's even better. And compared to Thor, Love and Thunder, that's 37% more. So a big overperformance of South Korea for Guardian of the Galaxy. So a mixed bag of fortunes for Guardians of the Galaxy over its opening weekend in the Asian Pacific region. We know that markets like China, like South Korea, you're contending with market share with a very robust domestic slate of titles. That's also the case in Europe. What was the European performance for the film? Well, for the European market, it's a little bit more flat compared to the previous one. This is the only region. This is quite flat. It's only 3% difference compared to the, to the previous one. When I say 3%, I gather all the country in the EMEA market that released the movies. And so the biggest country in EMEA is the United Kingdom with 71% market share for Guardian of the Galaxy this weekend, accumulated almost $15 million. Compared to the previous one, it's an underperformance of 13%. Compared to Ant-Man 3, it's an overperformance for 39%. And compared to Love and Thunder, Thor Love and Thunder, it's a flat performance, so uh, minus 1%. So mixed feelings from, uh, from EMEA. France, France is a little bit stronger. I had to pick, I had to speak a little bit about France. Sorry. It's impossible <laughs> not to bring that in when we have you. But yes, let's talk about the French market because it's an interesting major market when we look at 10 poles. We know that a title like Avatar 2 majorly overperformed in France. If we take that as the big picture of everything, how is Disney doing with a title like this one? Well, it, it makes me rethink about what Tony Chambers said during CinemaCon. And I do think that France already has this kind of vibe of creating urgency for a theatrical release. Exactly what we've been discovering in France for the, well, post-pandemic, mid-range movies are suffering from outperformance, but major movie of are overperforming. And it's crazy to see that. And I think Tony Chambers is, again, right when he said at CinemaCon that we need to create urgency for a theatrical release. So that's probably one of the reasons for France. And yeah, let's not forget that France is the second market for Guardian of the Galaxy in EMEA market. That's a major market for Disney and overperforming the previous one by 4%. So yeah, still a, still a big, a big performance from France. 
Germany is also a great country for Guardian of the Galaxy, although underperforming this, the, the previous one by 15%, but overperforming Tor, Love and Thunder by 40%. So also good performance from Germany. And I do think that, so yeah, we've seen that in the EMEA market, the performance compared to the previous one is quite flat. From APAC, it's quite overperformance, we will see an overperformance. But from the Latin region, Latin America, it's also overperforming compared to the previous one, overperforming by roughly 30%. So good news from uh, Latin America, and especially with Mexico, who is the major, the biggest country for Guardian of the Galaxy in this region, with an overperformance of roughly 60% compared to the previous one from Mexico. Yeah, you look at that Mexican box office and Disney just plays a hugely influential role, whether that's a family title or a Marvel title. These movies are always packing the theaters in that market. Romeo, Jesse, thank you so much uh, for your contributions here. And now coming up in the feature segment of the Box Office Podcast, our interview with Ray Nutt, the Chief Executive Officer of Fathom Events. That's coming up right after this message from our sponsor. Fathom Events is a recognized leader in specialty distribution, providing a wide array of content to movie theaters globally. Fathom's slate of offerings includes live performances from the Metropolitan Opera, Fathom's big screen classic series, documentaries including Oscar winner Navalny and Mother Teresa No Greater Love, which was the number two best-selling doc of 2022. They continue to bring the best of anime, including Studio Ghibli Fest, and a full offering of faith-based programming including The Chosen to the big screen. A featured events on the horizon include the 45th anniversary of Greece, a Fathom first look of Golden, in partnership with Bleecker Street, Ponyo and the Blind, the true story behind the patriarch of TV's beloved Duck Dynasty. Fathom is your go-to partner for compelling cinema content. Go to fathomevents.com for more details. Ray, we're coming off of a very eventful CinemaCon 2023 for Fathom Events. Listen, when you get to open for Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese, you're doing something right. So congratulations on that. You guys presented a new slate of programming uh, on Thursday before that filmmaker lunch. Can you go over what uh, CinemaCon was like for you guys this year? What were your goals? What was your big takeaway from the event? Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me today, Daniel. I, we had a great CinemaCon, as did everybody. I think in general, I, I think the buzz all over the entire conference was that it was feeling a little bit more like 2019 again, or even even prior. But we sponsored the filmmakers lunch for the fourth time this year, and uh, they had, as you know, Martin uh, Scorsese and Leonardo there, so it was uh, it was good for us. The room was filled. And, you know, we rolled out a slate there, which I can talk a little bit about. But uh, I think one of the main things that we look at when we go to CinemaCon is the ability to get together with all the exhibitors that we distribute to. And we tend to see, you know, our owners, AMC, Regal, and Cinemark, a little more often than we see some of the other exhibitors that we distribute to. And we distribute to 100 exhibitors uh, in total. So it was great to see a lot of those folks face-to-face that we hadn't seen maybe prior to the pandemic that got to attend this year as well and, and talk about ways that we can distribute our content to them as well. So that was certainly a big thing. And um, there was a lot of talk about uh, specialty distribution as well that uh, we can we can get into if you'd like. Absolutely. We have a bunch of topics here to go over. But let's start with a quick recap of that uh, Q1 box office earlier here in this podcast episode. We went over some of the results of the major cinema chains in the United States. What was the first quarter like for Fathom Events? Uh, what were some of the figures like for you guys? 
haven't exceeded all of our budgets for the first quarter. We had one of the best quarters in the history of the company. Uh, there was a lot of good content out there. Keep in mind, we were coming off a great 2022 where we were actually 88% of 2019, where I believe, or, I'm sorry, 86% of 2019, where the industry was 66% of 2019. So we were coming off a, a lot of momentum, a lot of filmmakers looking at our platform and looking for distribution through Fathom. So it was a, it was a spectacular quarter for us and it looks like q2 is gonna be very strong as well at least uh, we've got some good content coming through may well talking about q2 and everything uh happening later this year we just have to look at back at last year's results to see some really interesting data points from fathom events do i have this right fathom had 10 of the top 30 documentary films released in theaters last year which is a crazy statistic very positive what are you expecting in terms of documentary opportunities in the future for Fathom? I think you're going to see some docs coming out of the faith-based area. I think you're going to see some more docs coming out of the uh, original programming area as well. So those two those two categories will keep us very busy with docs this year. And when you have you know Navalny and Mother Teresa, it's not not a not a bad combination to attract those documentary filmmakers. Well, you mentioned Navalny, which uh, won the Academy Award for Best Documentary last year, a film that was released to theaters by Fathom Events. Based on this uh, background, do you see Fathom as having more of an activity in getting more Oscar-worthy films out to theaters in the coming years? So we're being very, very selective, and I know we're looking for those, and of course, you get one it's it's a nice feather in your cap to kind of attract additional attention and additional filmmakers on the road so it, it's not our primary goal but i can tell you it would be awfully nice to have fathom mentioned on the uh academy awards it's always a nice thing to have here uh you know a nice feather in everybody's cap when we have event cinema come in with with titles like that because it is a very competitive release landscape i think across all of the media ecosystem to get viewers attention we know that there's a lot of competition right now for theaters from TVOD, SVOD, AVOD, linear companies. How is Fathom negotiating that competition? What is your strategy regarding partnerships with these companies rather than looking at them like competitors? Partner with uh, uh, all the major studios who have downstream you know, rights to content and so forth. We also deal with a lot of uh, littler filmmakers that aren't very experienced in this particular area as well. So, you know, so we don't really don't really view that as competition. We look at the windows. We think they're satisfactory at this point. We're actually looking at new windows. Uh, you know, I, I think we've mentioned in the past our church network that we have out there where we, we've gone and taken content that we're licensing for movie theaters and wherever those movie theaters are, drawing a uh, geofence around them, say 25, 40 miles, whatever it might be, based on the density of the uh, geography, and then uh, licensing those films to those churches. And those churches have an opportunity in those underserved communities for people who will never drive to the theaters that we uh, service to go ahead and service them locally in their church. And, you know, when you have a a priest, a pastor, a minister getting up saying, hey, show up, uh, show up Wednesday, we got this great film, they're selling the tickets and everything. It's it's an awesome opportunity to create a brand new window that didn't even exist before. So I think there's plenty of opportunity out there that we've, we've never considered ourselves competitive with any of the downstream opportunities or windows. And 
I think you'll probably see us doing a little bit more in the direct-to-consumer space later this year. I know that's worked out uh, terrifically for you guys, getting those grassroots marketing partnerships, like you mentioned, in the faith-based space. There's a lot of niches where you guys have that ability to connect with audience pockets. You think of anime, you think of classic movies, you think of opera. Fathom is a brand that's able to communicate with those folks directly. You're also working a lot more with uh, mainstream film distributors and content producers. Titles like Clerks 3, for example, last year that was very successful for Fathom Events. Is there anything new on the horizon that you could share with us? Great experience with Lionsgate on Clerks uh, Clerks 3, and uh, Kevin Smith jumped in and (laughs) did his usual Kevin Smith stuff. He promoted the heck out of it, and it was a a real fun project to work on, and it was very, very successful as well. But we are, well, we announced, I believe, at our lunch that we were partnering with Bleecker Street to premiere Golda, the Helen Murren picture that comes out uh, August 23rd. If your listeners have not seen the uh, the trailer to that, check it out. I, it's you know you were talking about Academy Award performance. You know Helen Mirren speaks for herself, but I think the performance that she puts forth in that picture is just spectacular. So uh, yeah, we're continuing to work with all the major studios. That particular one on Golda, there is a uh, premiere that we're doing before the film actually gets released in a traditional format afterwards. So. A lot of promotion around the film that Fathom brings to the table. And then that's what the studios typically like to use us for as as a partnership. And it's also a partnership that has seen great results for independent film producers as well. Being able to find an access point to theaters all over the country with an innovative release model through event cinema. For those independent film producers that may be listening, how can they reach out to you? What's that process to make sure that new content can get in the eyes of your programming team to eventually make it out the theaters nationwide? That's one way my inbox on LinkedIn uh, lit up, but we have a programming department in all seriousness that does a fantastic job understanding content, understanding if there's an audience for that, working with filmmakers. And the thing I like about our company, we have a culture of transparency. So if a film is not quite right for the Fathom platform, we'll work with the filmmaker and say, hey, did you ever think about releasing it this way or that way? You know, some alternative uh, to us. So, you know, I think that we deal with a ton, obviously, because of who we are. You know, we're not, uh, we're the 10th largest distributor in North America, but, you know, we're not the Disney's and Warner Brothers and so forth. So there's a lot of independents that do like to come to us. They can look at our website and reach us through there. They can contact us directly via phone. We have people who filter different content and then, like I said, help them either work their way through the Fathom Network or if there's something else that's right for them, go another direction. But we love to talk to filmmakers and our door is open uh, via all those avenues. And I also want to talk about other categories that have been performing rather well for Fathom Events throughout the years. Let's talk about classic films. You bring classic films to theaters nationwide, bringing a lot of that repertory programming through event cinema. How important is that piece of the business for you and the company? Very important. Um, I, and what's what's very interesting about that is that uh, the audiences that it serves. And it always reminds me how old I'm getting, I guess, when I see, you know, Greece's 45th anniversary, which we're actually doing this month. But uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Hairspray, 35th, 
the birds, 60th, um, enter the dragon, 50th. So we always do these on our anniversary because we like to get home entertainment on the studio side involved in the marketing and promotion of it as well because they're maybe really re-releasing or whatever, a, a Blu-ray or whatever. So there's marketing dollars there to help promote. We just hired Leonard Malton also to introduce 11, I think, of our titles this year. And he's already recorded those and he's done a spectacular job. He's a film museum walking around. I mean, that guy knows more about films than just about anybody I know. And um, he brings, you know, three or four minutes to each of the ones that each of the films that he introduces. And um, it's always something that, uh, trust you me, probably didn't know. So this, this category is important not only to us, but it's very important to the studios as well, who have a have a library that they're trying to monetize and, uh, and get out there in front of audiences. So you'll see us continue with this particular category uh, in, the, in the future. It's, and it's very strong this year. And two of the other mainstays for Fathom Events have been your relationship with the Met Opera and anime studios like G-Kids and uh, the Studio Ghibli Fest uh, series of screenings you do. How are those categories performing for you so far? There's about 11 titles in our Ghibli Fest that we're doing with G-Kids this year. And what's interesting, the first one we did of those big titles was My Neighbor Totoro. We've done that in the past. We've done all these films in the past, but it performed better. And it performed better because we're packaging them up into a package that's more marketable and promotable to the audiences out there. Another interesting thing that we found was we programmed a, a Spirited Away live on stage. So they played out the animated portion of it live on stage. And that we came off that run just recently and it did very well. So there's all kinds of little opportunities like that out there in the anime space and that's one where you'll see us continue to uh, program as well. The MAP partnership remains very, very strong. As you know, our content is very diverse. Uh, so it was very interesting coming out of the pandemic to see which audiences uh, were a little bit quicker or not so quick to come back to uh, to movie theaters. And it's been well documented that the the older audiences, which the Met is, was a little bit uh, slower to come back. But what's what's very interesting about what's going on with the Met right now is they are starting program content that caters to the younger audience. We just came off a, um, a performance with the Met called The Champion, which was about an African-American boxer. And I don't know that there's ever been a an opera before that has focused on that particular topic. So so as you can see, the Met is becoming very, very creative and they know they have to attract the different audiences and our partnership is stronger than ever. And uh, we're hoping that younger audience, as well as the existing audience, uh, uh, continues to return to theaters. Now, in that return to theaters, Fathom has actually increased its reach to over 400 affiliates last year alone. Is that number still growing? And what do you think is the reason for this uh, growth in people joining to, to event cinema? And uh, it is at 400. And the reason for that is you'd have to understand what we did in the past. Uh, for somebody in the past, uh, an exhibitor to join the Fathom Network, we had a requirement where they had to install our, our technology, our satellite technology. And that was capital expense on the exhibitor's side. And so a lot of them, you know, elected not to do that after the pandemic. We were hearing things like you need to be a little bit more flexible in, in your programming and your distribution of your content. So our leadership group put our heads together and we said, let's 
not require that anymore. We certainly love to exist, and we do have 1,100 theaters and 2,200 screens with our network out there right now. But like with the Chosen that we did, we went to almost 2,000 screens. I believe we did go to 2,000 screens. And in order to do that, we started distributing content via DCP. So it's called DCP Only. That's the name of the program that we've given it, and it's allowed... A lot of exhibitors, basically any exhibitor that uh, has a digital projector, just like they show a regular movie, to show our content as well. So that is the primary reason why you've seen an expansion with distribution um, at, at Fathom. And uh, thank you so much for your time here, Ray. We really do appreciate it. To close up our conversation, we wanted to talk about the rest of the year here for Fathom Events. Where do you see the most growth for the remainder of the year for the company? I would tell you one of the things that uh, we're excited about is uh, we're pivoting to something called specialty distribution. And there was a lot of talk about that at uh, CinemaCon. We talked about it at our launch. There was a press release on it. And what we're going to be doing is looking at a handful of films that aren't necessarily one or two nights like event cinema is and will always be an event cinema company but there's an evolution going on here from alternative content years ago to event cinema today to what we're going to lead into the future at least for fathom and that's specialty distribution and specialty distribution involves you know pictures a picture like the blind and that is a picture that we're releasing september 28th and we're releasing it for a full week with at least two show times a day so that gives you an idea of kind of what the definition of specialty distribution is. Now, I need to clarify that most of our content will still be one or two nights, but there's a lot of filmmakers out there that are producing film that want to come to Fathom versus other distributors out there and uh, and can get a full week's run. But the requirements on that are revenues in the five uh, floor of $5 million and on up. So... A film like The Blind, which is a biopic on Phil Robertson, if you recall the Duck Dynasty, Duck Dynasty TV series. This biopic is about his life, and it has a huge attraction. So we feel that this is going to be one of the first films out there in specialty distribution that is meaningful to us for the rest of the year. So that's something we're very excited to kind of end the year with. Well, thank you so much for your time, Ray, uh, and joining us here on the Box Office Podcast. Thank you, Daniel. Always appreciate it. Have a good day. And that was the CEO of Fathom Events, Ray Nutt. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Box Office Podcast. And the big thank you to our co-hosts this week, Romeo Duchenne and Jesse Rifkin, for joining us to talk about everything here in the world of theatrical exhibition. We will be back again with a new episode next week. New episodes of the Box Office Podcast drop every Thursday. So don't forget to subscribe. This podcast is a collaboration between the Box Office Company, Box Office Pro, and Record Edit Podcast. Thank you again for your support. We'll talk to you again next week.